0: Please be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 8. This morning we begin what will be at least the bulk of our our summer series as Camper and I um, will lead through the I am sayings that Jesus used to help us to grow in our understanding of who he is. Also uh, during the summer we'll have others who will be uh, bringing the word to us but we didn't put them in the constraints of that particular series. Uh, This morning we look at one of the most common or most familiar of these I am sayings, perhaps the most familiar for for many people, and our verse that we'll be looking at is John uh, John 8, uh, verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The word of our God. Let's go to him in prayer uh, that he would speak to us during this time that we consider his revelation to us. Father, we do come with thanksgiving that you have not left us in the dark about who you are and how we may relate to you and please you and how life is to work, but you have spoken to us by your word and continue to be at work within us by the Spirit who dwells within all who believe. I pray that by that Spirit now as we commit this time to you that it would not merely be an academic exercise, that one in which we learn, but that we would hear your affirmations and your corrections and encouragements all wrapped and delivered in the identity of the person of Christ. Turn our eyes to him that we may see him, that in him we might find the joy that we search for, our identity, our purpose, our hope. For this is your promise. We are a people who are in need. and So, Lord, bless us in accordance with your promise now as we study this word. We pray all things to your glory. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. July 13th, 1977, bolt of lightning struck the utility lines in New York City, causing a citywide uh, power outage. And for the next 25 hours, the city remained in, in darkness. This wasn't the first power outage citywide that New York had experienced. A little over a decade earlier, There was one that actually was far more extensive, that went not only in the city, but far-reaching and was part of the largest power outage in history. But the city had fared very well through that first power outage, uh, leaving people feeling very encouraged about where they lived and society as a whole, uh, that they just were able to, they had a, a, a strength and a resilience that enabled them to endure through until the light came back. But in 1977, it was very different. While the first power outage a decade earlier had gone through relatively peacefully, in 1977, during the dark hours, looters had ransacked over 1,600 stores and arsonists had set over 1,000 fires. Time Magazine declared, for some, it seemed an appropriate metaphor for the gloom that had already settled on the city due to economic decline, rising crime rates, and a panic that had been prompted by the son of Sam Killings that were in the news at that time. It's not difficult for us to imagine in our congregation, it's quite possible that a few of you were even there at that time. But whether you were there or not, it's not difficult for us to imagine being in that situation. We all know that sometimes very frightening or creepy things happen in the dark. And even if there's nothing that is going on, our minds are wired in such a way that the darkness causes us to be une- at unease. Earlier this week, um, I was watching an old TV show called Brain Games. It's on Netflix, and the episode was titled Don't Be Afraid. And they were going, taking people through various scientific experiments to see how our brains respond, one of which was to blacken the eyes and then to make suggestions to people So each of the three people were brought out, they were strapped to a chair, so they were helpless. They were shown particular objects, bugs, a snake, and I don't remember what the third one was. And then they were totally blindfolded and strapped in and taken and they were given, allowing their minds to begin to process. And So rather than bugs, they threw peanut shells into the laps of people who were totally blind and in the darkness imagining what this was that they had and they would freak out. <laughs> Rather than a snake, they tossed a rope into their laps. If you freak out on bugs, you're certainly <laughs> going to freak out on a rope. <laughs> in fact, one of the three participants didn't even make it into the room with the experiments. Five feet after being blackened out and and feeling helpless, the adrenaline, and they explained that her brain was so active and imaginative because of the darkness. Just the fear caused her to go into a hysteric panic, and so they had to stop. It said nothing about them. In fact, the whole point of that episode was to say this is not a lack of character or courage, this is a survival mechanism, this is God's put into us, that in the darkness we don't function well, in the darkness we don't see well, we feel particularly vulnerable, we don't understand what's going on and our imaginations run wild. Without light, it's hard to see. And even in mundane situations, we acknowledge that even within our speech. You think about it for a moment. If there's somebody that you're trying to communicate with and they just don't seem to understand, we say he or she is in the dark. They just don't seem to have enough information. Or if we are lacking information and we wanting more clarity brought on a subject, we might say to the person speaking with us, enlighten me. Or can you shed some more light on this subject for me? the reality is that we live in a world that is dark in many many ways turn on the news pick up the newspaper and you see many dark reports so whether you view the world as dark or whether you view the world as darkening there's no question for anyone who has their eyes open that we see a lot of darkness that is around us what we are all in need of is light and what we are most in need of is to have more light shed upon our understanding of the person and identity of Jesus Christ, Psalm thirty-six nine declares about Jesus: "For with you is the fountain of life; in your light do we see light." This is the reflection of Christ talking about Jesus being both a fountain and being light. And interestingly enough, from that uh, from that psalm, in the context of the passage we're going to we're looking at this morning we see both of those images vividly illustrated before us. The context of the passage that we have is not just in chapter eight, but is chapter seven and eight. It was a feast. It was the Feast of the Tabernacles, sometimes called the Feast or the Festival of the Booths, that was a, a regular, important celebration, one of the Fall Feasts in Israel. And it was a seven-day celebration. What we should be thinking about, if you want to get your mind around it, is Thanksgiving. This was a celebration of God's provision for his people, not only in their day, daily lives and the harvest that they achieve each year, but through their history, rec- reminding themselves of the wilderness years when God provided for all of their needs. And rather than a one day where they all pig out, this was a seven-day festival that had both ceremony and partying that continually were uh, taking place every single day uh, during that week. What's most unique about this particular ceremony is that as an expression of participation, people would prepare and live in temporary shelters. They would make huts or booths and they would live in them in the fields or in the courtyards, in the streets. They would all come to Jerusalem and they would build their huts, most of which were quite primitive some of which might be still primitive but were ornately decorated just as part of getting into the holiday spirit. And People would dwell in those booths for the duration of of the festival. Now in this festival there were two, well several, uh, but two particular uh, dramatic displays. One is known as the ceremony of the water drawing. Each morning, a designated priest would make his way down to the Pool of Siloam, and with a particular gold pitcher, he would fill it up with water, make his way back to the temple, followed by crowds, and then going into the temple area, he would pour the water out in two silver basins as part of a ceremony, recognizing both that water was God's provision and is necessary for their daily sustenance and for the harvest, and also as a prophetic representation of the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. This was done each day, but in chapter 7 we see something took place on the last day. And the last day when the priest had finished pouring out the water and people were standing there considering the significance of the symbol that is taking place, we're told that Jesus stood up and declared, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, "Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water." Now that doesn't strike us necessarily, and perhaps the, the significance strikes us, but think about being at a religious symbol, a ceremony, and somebody not part of the official delegation stands up and makes such an audacious claim. The people that were there that day had the same kind of responses that we might have. Some were amused, just like you might be when somebody gets up in a place that is a solemn ceremony, maybe a college graduation, and blows one of those air horns. Just out of place, but it's sort of amusing. Most were annoyed, and we're told that some were at all. They heard the words, and they thought, maybe it's true. Well, that's not the focus of our t- today, but we need to understand that is the backdrop about people's reactions to what Jesus did say because it took place later in that day. And the second ceremony that takes place, and maybe ceremony is a, a wrong word for this, but it's the tradition that it took place every single year at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. People having been living in their huts all week, in order to get around, they also would put little torch lights up. And so the streets and everywhere you went were totally illuminated by these torch lights all night long. And the last night at the appointed time when the festivities were over, all of the torch lights were extinguished. For us who live here, think about it as the grand illumination, but just kind of in reverse. I mean, everybody goes and is waiting, but all the lights go out at the same time, and it's a powerful, symbolic reminder we've celebrated. It has now come to an end at this time. And as people were standing there in the darkness, pondering the significance, feeling the weight of the occasion, The same guy who stood up in the morning and declared that he, if anyone is thirst, that they should come to him, he now stands up and he announces, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I assume fewer were amused. The ones who were annoyed were probably even more annoyed. Probably some of those who were amused probably were now annoyed. Others were now becoming concerned because this was now becoming an irritating habit. Twice on the same day on these solemn occasions, this guy is standing up and is making it all about him. The following verses tell us that the religious leaders and a lot of other people were quite concerned. But it also tells us that there were others through this declaration... By God's grace, they began to believe. Jesus was making an incredible declaration about himself through this outburst. And he was shedding light on his identity, light that we need today as much as they needed then. A light that we need whether we have we're exploring and we're searching for meaning in our lives and we're exploring this Christianity thing or whether we have been Christians for a long time. There may be a difference in our knowledge and understanding about stuff about Jesus Christ but we are always in need of being reminded and illuminated in our minds and in our hearts and having that light rekindled. So as we consider these words this morning we need to be asking ourselves what is it that Jesus meant by these words? We know that it was profound. We know that it was important we know that it reflects something about his unique purpose in God's redemptive plan. But what do the words themselves specifically mean? C.S. Lewis long ago wrote something that I think is very helpful for us in understanding this passage. I don't think it was particularly applied to this. But his statement does help us have a framework for what I believe Jesus means by these declarations and self-identification. What Lewis said is this, is I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And so what Lewis is telling for you and for me in a a simple way is we'd ask the question, how many of you believe the sun rose today? Let's look we see it that's the first part of it how many of you see it all it's because the Sun is up and these that metaphor is actually appropriate for us understanding what Jesus is telling us because I think the first thing we need to understand and the most profound thing that Jesus was saying in this text in the self-identification is that in Jesus we see God period we need to recognize here that Jesus uses what at least one New Testament scholar calls the most unique divinity ascription, I am. It was no coincidence that he began this way of identifying himself because even as he was calling attention to himself in the morning about being a river of life, calling, he didn't use the words I am. In my reading of this, although perhaps it's somewhat in my imagination, is that Jesus said it in such a way, emphasizing those words, I am, he left no doubt what he was saying. As important, as significant as declaring that he's the light of the world, the I am saying brought almost everyone's attention back to that point in Exodus, remembering when God and Moses had met, Moses being commissioned to go back to his people and going to declare that God said that his people should be set free. Remember, Moses asked this question, A reasonable question. Um, People are going to kind of wonder whose idea this was. Who should I say sent me? He's been interacting with God, but God being beyond us, he didn't have a name for him, and God's response was, I am. Yahweh. The most distinctive deity. Other phrases and words that we use to distinguish God are sometimes shared by tribal gods. But I am is unique to God himself. Yahweh, unique. And Jesus stands up and uses that very same phrase. I am the light of the world. And if you look at the reactions that took place by the religious leaders, you know that they knew exactly what he was suggesting. Because they fumed. You have to assume that Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. And he knew that when he, what he said was going to get under their skins. Jesus is declaring... In me, you see God. Paul says in Colossians, Colossians 1, He is the image of the invisible God, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or heaven, by making peace by the blood shed on the cross. Paul is affirming that in Jesus, we see God. And that's important because we live in a culture where sociologists tell us that what's passing for Christianity is something known as moralistic therapeutic deism. And I've used the phrase before, but the deism is not, is important. It means that the vast majority of people still believe in God and that there is a God, but they don't think they know anything about him. He begins to conform to their own imaginations or their own desires rather than we conforming our understanding of God to what God is really like. Some of that is understandable because God is beyond us and there's no way for us to comprehend who he is. And yet God has revealed himself and he himself has declared that he has revealed himself in his son and Jesus is making that declaration right here. I am the light of the world. We see God when we see Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, study Jesus. If you study Jesus, your life will be transformed. We are told that when we study him, we become like him. The second thing that we need to see from this particular text is this. Not only that in Jesus we see God, but by Jesus we navigate our way through this life. That's what he's saying in the second part of this verse. If any individual whoever follows me, um, that you won't walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. He's talking about the way that we live our lives here. In other words, any individual who is a follower of Christ will has this promise that they'll never remain unsure of what Jesus would have us to do. doesn't mean we have immediate certainty, but by his revelation, by his character, and by his spirit, we are guided and we are directed into what God would have us to do and call us into his presence and Jesus is very specific about that here in a way that doesn't necessarily jump off of the page because he's saying that person will have the light of the life or real life because what's not indicated here is that there is a definite article before life that doesn't flow from our the way we talk and so actually it should read you will have the light for the life, and so he's being very particular, calling it to any individual who is following Jesus will have the truth, the true light, Jesus himself, for the life, which is the life that is to be lived in the way that God has called us. It's a powerful, powerful promise. That Jesus is making here. And again, we need to consider it against the backdrop of the world we live in that we don't necessarily consider. Because day in and day out, we are inundated with pitches for promises to bring us real life. Whether it's cars and clothing or insurance companies or even soft drinks. Remember the old commercial that said, Coke adds life? I mean, that's the promise. All the commercials are not selling you a product, they're selling you a life. They're selling you what they're telling you is the real life, the fulfilled life. And Jesus, in this phrase, Is declaring himself to be in competition with every other life the world may offer he's saying I am the light and the life in me is the life and so by doing this Jesus is promising to us that he's going to reveal everything that we need to know to navigate this life and throughout all of the scriptures of what Jesus has revealed to us he tells us what the world is like both the things that we should be moving toward and the obstacles to our attaining the joy that we desire and the fellowship with God He tells us what this world is like, pointing out both the blessings and the landmines that all of us encounter at some point or another. And then having mapped out what the world is like so that we can navigate it, he goes to even the greater difficulty of saying, and now here's the greatest landmine you have, and he tells us what's in our hearts. He reminds us that we can't live by our hearts, we can't live by our feelings, we can't live by our emotions. None of those are evil. But they are unreliable because we are all broken through the effect of the original fall and rebellion against God. And so he points out our condition as well as pointing us to the remedy, which is him. Through him, God has given forgiveness and reconciled all things. But he's pointing out all of the things that hinder us in navigating our lives. If you've ever spent a night in an unfamiliar place, whether it's a room or a city, and at some point, point at night, you get up and you need to get out and either navigate the roads, or you need to navigate the room. You recognize that it's, it's a difficult thing to do, because you don't know what you're looking for. You don't know what is there, and the darkness doesn't give you any clue. Jesus here is telling us that he is illuminating all things for us. He's showing us what is there in the world as we navigate it, in the dark world. He's showing us what's true in our hearts that sometimes can move towards darkness, and in such he's enabling us to navigate in this life. And ultimately he's navigating in a way that is leading us home. You may remember in the movie Apollo thirteen, there's a scene while the astronauts were still trying to figure out their mechanical difficulties. And the people that were back in Houston, they they didn't know really what was going on either. So rather than going to the news, they showed a pre-recorded interview with Jim Lovell, played by Tom Hanks. So you have the engineers trying to figure out what they need to do, the astronauts figuring out what the problem is, and the families wondering if they would see anybody ever come home again. And in this interview, the interviewer had asked Jim Lovell whether or not he had ever encountered any difficulties as a pilot. He recalled a time when he was in the Navy. He was out on a mission, and as he was flying back towards the carrier, all of the instruments in his plane went dark. The cabin itself went dark. With the carrier out in the middle of a big, dark ocean, he had no instruments to tell him where the carrier was because they were uh, they were in, in a war zone. They, the carrier was, uh, was, there was... There was no way to see anything. He said that, then he noticed this glowing green phosphorus color, algae that had been churned up by the boat, the ship, whatever the carrier sorry for those of you in the Navy. Um, <laughs> send your emails anyway but um <laughs> but you've got the idea um, and you see. Tom Hanks does such a wonderful job as you see him telling the story and pondering at the same time. And he said, So, he said, if my instruments had been on, I never would have seen it. It was so faint. But because my instruments had gone out, or the light had, had become dark, I had this path that was leading me straight to the carrier. And he just says, So, you never know what's going to turn up to lead you home. The point of the movie, you you could tell, it gave hope to the families at that time. But the point for us is to recognize the same thing is very true. Because it's very easy right now to live in this world and to live in this culture and to turn on the news and become incredibly discouraged, thinking that our world, we thought it was dark. It seems to be getting darker and darker and darker. And so we're going to throw in the towel. How bad can it possibly be? But we need to be reminded, first of all, a general statement that is true, is the light shines brightest when the night is in its darkest. And that's exactly what Jim Lovell found at that time. And we need to remember that the Scripture also gives us a promise according to that. At the very beginning of John and soon after the prologue, we're told this. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the promise that we have, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And as dark as it gets, he will shine even brighter, and we are able to see him more clearly if we turn our attention to him because he is the light of this life two other things as we wrap up because it's important that we recognize this and first i just want to make sure that we don't miss the exclusive claim that jesus is making here jesus is declaring i am the light in a culture that isn't continually trying to say there are many ways that we live there are many lights I'm not suggesting there are not many lights, but there is one light that relates us to God. Jesus says, I am the light. Now, you don't have to embrace that and consider that true, but what you do have to say is this. If you are one who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he is your light, he is your only light, and there is no other light by which you are to use. We see God in the person of Jesus Christ, and we see the world as he has described it, and we see the way that we are to live in accordance with the light that he has illuminated us with which is both his word and his Holy Spirit. We see things that way. Now, that's not a reason for us to assume we've mastered it, that we're better than anybody. We need the light because we're not better than anybody else. But we need to be very clear what is the real light and what is going to be leading us home. Jesus, using this very definite article, "the," leaves no room for followers of Christ to entertain other ways and to synchronize other ideas with his. God is the God of all truth. All truth is either in line with the truth of the gospel or it's ultimately not true. That's what Jesus declares. And so followers of Christ, we align ourselves with that light or we find ourselves walking in darkness or simply by artificial lights. The second thing that I want to, and I'll wrap up with this, is the question of how do we know? Okay, Jesus made this claim. People that day heard him made two astounding claims. We who are here, most of us are here because we believed it to be true. Is there something that he said that backed this up? Or is there something that we should look to by verifiable that his claim was true? And I would say in the context of this section of chapter 7 and 8, Jesus actually does say something. There is one thing in particular that we are to look to to determine whether it is true whether Jesus is the light of the world or not, and that is the cross. Now, some of you are familiar with this might look at this and even run quick and say, well, I don't see that anywhere. If you skip ahead a little bit to John 8, verse 28, Jesus is still dialoguing, the fallout is still going on of the outrageous things that Jesus said. A lot of things have taken place in between, but Jesus says this almost as the, as a final statement on this subject. Verse 28, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Jesus was using a play par- on words here because usually throughout the Old Testament and other times people, when they were lifted up, when we talk about lifting somebody up, we're talking about praising them, we're acknowledging them, we're and so but jesus here had something totally different in mind jesus saying when you have lifted up in other words when he is on the cross that he will either be clearly proving that he is the light or you will deny the light but his dying to demonstrate what god is like and what god has done for us in the cross we see most vividly the character the nature the fullness of our god in the cross, we see the way by which we are able to approach our God. Jesus said, when you lift that up, that becomes a defining mark. All my statements, anybody can make these statements, but when I am lifted up, it will become clear. And By that, I assume he meant not only in the dying for our sin, but the power of the resurrection that proved that he was not just an executed irritant to the government, government and religious officials cross is an undeniable historical reality that Christianity hinges on and so the light shined my most bright from that cross at the darkest moment of human history but it is a light that continues to shine it's a light that is calling our attention today it's a light that is worthy of celebration It is a light that is worthy of committing our lives to be navigating this world by it is a light that is given to you as a hope in a harbor that may bring you fear in a world of darkness. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And there is an incredible promise that whoever follows me, we won't be in darkness. We don't know all, but we will be guided home. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks and praise to you for the word that you've given to us this morning. And I thank you that you have revealed yourself so vividly, so powerfully, so personally in this person of Jesus Christ. May he truly be our light. May we be among those individuals that he declared if we follow him that he will shed light upon our lives, upon this world, and upon our paths. He is the word that is a lamp unto our feet and light to the path. So Lord, may we look to him and see you. and May we look to him see our way may we look to him and celebrate all praise to you our god through jesus christ by the power of your spirit we pray